Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com held a grudge for 25 years mate and you turn up with 16 bottles of Peroni all's forgiven all is forgiven forgiven. we can order some more if you want (laughs) a 14 year old me crying in me nana's sitting room man I do apologise for that but um, that's life you know, you've got to move forward. You can't stick in the past. That's a very diplomatic way of saying, fuck you, Chris. <laughs> I don't give a shit. You said you went back, didn't you? You went back to the northeast with Mickey, Mickey Gray and Maker. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I got in touch with uh, with Mickey, a lovely guy. He's such a such a nice guy. Um, obviously, obviously, him, you know, the career that he had, and he had an amazing, amazing career. Uh, but they always come back to that penalty save um, at Wembley when when I spectacularly saved it. You know, I did such a wonderful dive to my left. Many people see it differently. <laughs> they think I just fell over and caught the ball, but it was all about mind games, obviously. Um, <laughs> but you know, that penalty save is probably one of one of the things that people rem- remember. Mickey Gray for, despite his amazing, uh, you know, career that he had in football. But it's good to have that, you know. I mean, it's great for me, obviously. But uh, but then, you know, I got in contact with him through Chris Macon, um, and they asked me if I wanted to come and do a Q&A in Sunderland, one of the pubs in Sunderland. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. So, listen, I've always, I've always <laughs> taken risks in my life, and I don't think... <laughs> This will be any different. I think, okay, I'm, I'm for it. And uh, they said, well, listen, come drive down. Um, come to our place. You can spend the night at our place. The next day we'll go to Sunderland and we'll get to this uh, lovely pub, middle of Sunderland. I think it was on two floors, about 200 Sunderland hardcore, hardcore Sunderland fans. All I remember was uh, tattoos. <laughs> Guys with bald no heads. Hair, bald heads. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I might have made a mistake. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. to your life for doing Well, it. no, listen, it wasn't for the lighthearted and, um, and, but we, they sort of ushered us, uh, once we parked the car, we were ushered in, in, in the kitchen and there was this, uh, you know, cowboy door, you know, hinges that the door opens on both ends. So as they were, uh, introducing Chris Macon and Mickey Gray, uh, to the stand, they had to pass literally through the crowd of of the Sunderland supporters. All, you know, all of them had at least one pint of beer in their yeah. hand, at least one pint. So they were obviously cheering them on as they got on the stage. You know, there was nothing but you know, there's only one Mickey Gray, there's only one Chris Meek, and and obviously the MC started to introduce my uh, participation in the QA. And as as they, as they he obviously introduced me, there was nothing but a roar and uh, 
we will kill you. We'll, we'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> you take a couple of How did you come out? I'm in the kitchen. You've got to give it one of them on the way. Listen, it was, it was, it wasn't pleasant, you know. But the fact that I had to walk through that crowd to get to the <laughs> stage was, was for blood. Uh, and I thought to myself, I've got two options. How can I approach this situation? If I walk out sheepishly, I'm sure they'll clip me behind the ear. But if I walk out like Rocky Balboa, if I walk walk out like or somebody that is, doesn't give a shit, I'm pretty sure they had given me a bit more respect. So as I introduced my name, I literally kicked the door open because I knew now where the players were coming from. So all eyes, all those 200 supporters were all eyes on this kitchen door. So I literally just kicked the door open and jumped out. I'm like, Rock. <laughs> Two rolling pins. Here's, the water. Here's, the water. Here's Sasha. Knife in each hand. I'm punching the air. Come on. <laughs> Motherfuckers, come on, I'm all of you guys. So as I walk on the stage and I was Mickey, Mickey Grace says to me, just say this derogatory term. And I'm like, what does that mean? So just just say it's it's uh, obviously derogatory towards Newcastle Football Club. And I get the mic, I'm like, I'm not sure. It was a different Fuck language. I, I don't know what they told me to say, but it yeah. wasn't in English. It was some sort of northern sort of slang. <laughs> was it in English? I don't know. <laughs> 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 so I get the mic and I say what they t told me to say and the crowd went silent for about two seconds then it was there's only one Sasha <laughs> so it's a fickle so <laughs> <laughs> he said the penalty that's cost him getting promotion but he said one derogatory term about Newcastle he's, he'll do for us <laughs> he's one of us he's one of, <laughs> one of us he's one of our own <laughs> So I nearly signed for Sunderland that time also. So it was it was great. It <laughs> so was great. Paz has just asked me to say the word kangaroo. Oh God, yeah, uh, that's a, that's another story altogether. So so being born and raised in Australia to Serbian Yugoslav parents, uh, uh, I had the taste of going exploring Yugoslavia when I was fourteen years old. I played for back then for the they say under 14s for partisan belgrade but when during that time when i was 14 years old uh because i was a novelty i enrolled in i think it was uh, uh year eight year eight at, at high school uh, they they nicknamed me kangaroo which is kengud in in serbian so nobody knew of me for my name um they all knew me as kengud which is kangaroo so in the footballing world that name always stuck but that particular time during that, let's say, very difficult period, um, the country went from having everything, literally having nothing. So it was survival of the fittest type of scenario. And uh, when I went to England and obviously made it, you know, played for Charlton and became a premiership goalkeeper, played internationally for Yugoslavia. Uh, in 2000, I think it was in 2001, I think it was, uh, there was this uh, movie made, the, well, the name of the movie was called when i grow up i want to be like kangaroo so the story goes on about this kid coming from australia to yugoslavia going to the premiership and doing wonders and it was obviously about my storyline of coming to Yugoslavia. they used me as inspiration for this movie but the movie itself uh, depicted the let's say the how people lived in that period of the time where there was hyperinflation it was it was the most terrible part or period of the history of, of that country and this movie ultimately became uh one of the most watched movie, cult movies in the history of uh 
cinematography in, in that part of the world. In Yugoslavia. So in Yugoslavia, yeah. So basically, yeah. Well, it'd be your life, were not it? So, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Our but first they guest used, who's yeah. had a movie made about it. <laughs> right, so, I mean, so you've been in a movie, haven't you? Yeah. But, but they... Yeah, <laughs> so Kangaroo, nobody knows me as Sashilic, people know me as Kangaroo. <laughs> so whenever I go to Yugoslavia now, or let's say to Serbia, when you say Sashilic, like, who, who's that? Nobody knows of me as the People as just Sashilic. start hopping when Is you walk it? in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to say, well, they only use the name kangaroo because of its long tail. So you can, <laughs> you can. Uh... <laughs> Do you know what, Sasha? We put questions on Instagram, and one of the first ones you went on this morning: How big's his dick? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's the kind of audience that we've got. Yeah, yeah well, listen, I tend, tend to use slightly nicer phrases: tail and all that kind of <laughs> kangaroo tail. So Mom-wood. that that sort of you know uh, answers your question or that particular question from one of your. If, uh, listeners, I, I mean, if we can get a little bit into that that upbringing and that that journey, I suppose to to that playoff final and yeah. to Cheltenham, well, we'll go beyond. But yeah. I mean, it's some story. Uh, it's, when, it's a long, it's a long story. When definitely. did you when did you move over to Australia? Or what age? No, I was born in Australia. All right. So, so my Australia, parents migrated to Australia in the late sixties, early seventies. I think it was. I was born in nineteen seventy two. So my father was a very passionate football player. I particularly didn't really. Uh, enjoy. I, I didn't really enjoy football that much. I actually preferred basketball because um, I was quite tall for my age, so I did quite well at school. But my dad was very passionate with football, so when when he got me to play football, uh, I was very tall and lanky and very skinny. So the coach goes, well, "You got the height, getting goals." It's like obviously. <laughs> If you're a fat kid, you're in goals. If you're a tall, lanky guy, you're, you're in goals too. <laughs> well, I'm both, too. and I never played one. Play, play I didn't one. mean to look at you when I said that. <laughs> but obviously, I, I got in goals, but I was natu- I was a natural in goals. I was very brave. I didn't sort of see it. I didn't have any fear. I would dive into feet. So as, as I was progressing through the different age groups, I became really, really good. So... Um, but my f- father, being from 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 Serbia, from Yugoslavia, he always had this dream to drag me from from Australia. Uh, so when I was fourteen, I had my first taste. Went there, but my friend, parents couldn't really sort of settle in Yugoslavia at that time. So then we came back, and but it was my dream now. So I got the love for football, and obviously watching match of the day in Australia. Watching, you know, my favorite team was obviously um, Man United. I liked Man United when I was in Australia when, when I was a kid. So we were all sort of dreaming about English football. So English football for us was like the pinnacle for anybody's career. If you make it English football, you know, you've, you, achieved, you made, you've achieved your goals in life. So as a, as, as a youngster growing up, um, English football was something that I, I adored. Um, then I, obviously my parents took me to Yugoslavia uh, when I was 14. Then I went back again when I was uh, 17, 18, just before the 90s. Uh, then I stayed there. Then then obviously the turn of events of the country, for, you know, it was a civil war. The country broke up. The lifestyle of the country turned literally overnight. And I was a witness to seeing a, a healthy country literally fall. How long had you been in Yugoslavia before the civil war broke so out? I, I literally arrived about 12 months before it all broke out. Literally 12 months. So then then my parents, um, and they said, Sasha, you get on the plane, you go back. So I ca- literally caught the last plane uh, out, of, out of the country to go back to Australia. Um, because they obviously they notified the country that Yugoslavia will be under sanctions uh, from the US and England and so on. 
Um, and for some reason, uh, my parents decided for me to go back to Australia, which I did. But after four weeks being in Australia, I packed my bags and went back again. You've gone back to Australia on your own? On my own, yeah. What what provisions are in Australia for you? Well, my sisters were living in Australia. Right. We had a house there. Older sisters. That. Yeah, older sisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but after one month, I couldn't live in Australia because I had the bug living in Europe. So I packed my bags and flew back. I couldn't fly directly, but I went through Hungary and crossed the border. Um, they had these bus services across the border to get back into the country. And my, when my parents saw me, they thought, uh, what the hell are you doing here? You didn't tell me you were coming back? No, 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 no. no. no I wanted to come back. <laughs> yeah. To what's yeah. the word on there? I told you! To what's the word on there? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was a lot of it, you know, you said you couldn't settle, but was a lot of it that there was no opportunity, football opportunity over there, you were still chasing your dream? Listen, I was young. Uh, I, I was playing professionally in the sense I was getting paid. Um, but the, the problem was as the conflict sort of went over a certain period of time, uh, sanctions, uh, we couldn't play international internationally with, you know, UEFA and Champions League. So that was all sort of uh, so off the table. you back on your own to yeah. Yugoslavia, are you affiliated with a football club? Yeah, so I first went to Partizan Belgrade, then went on loan to a, uh, let's say, a, a non-league club. I was 17, 18, so I did really well there. Then I got snapped up by another first league club um, in, in Belgrade, in Serbia. So I, I became first choice goalkeeper at the age of 19, 20. Um, I, and for me, that was amazing. You know, um, Even though the country was in turmoil, I was, I was receiving like... Uh, it's very hard for me to explain to anybody that hasn't lived through that, the mentality and the lifestyle back then because... Uh, you know, when you watch the news, when you see how people live, you think that's, oh my God, that's crazy. But when you're living there, uh, you make the most of everything that comes your way. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're driving a Ferrari or you're driving a beat up, you know, Ford Ford Fiesta. It's these things, materialistic things don't really matter. It's it's the people that you're surrounded by with and, and what you want to achieve in life. So when you're in a situation where you've got absolutely nothing, living in the country where there's like eight, eight hour electricity cuts every single day, uh, you know, washing powder, dishwashing soap, uh, you Everybody's know, petrol, that was considered to be a luxury item, but you could buy all these things through the black market. Again, you know, it's it's wheeling, you learn to wheel and deal, buying uh, milk was was a luxury item, so, but then- and everybody's in the same boat. And everybody's in the same boat, so it's a survival of the fittest. And once you learn to survive, once you start learning how to survive and how to enjoy yourself at the same time, um, but then also you have that dream of becoming somebody or come going to the UK or any other country to become a professional footballer. That is the carrot that sort of dangles you to move forward and to pursue your dreams. But you're in reality, you're living in a society where where everybody's in the same boat, um, everybody's in in the same the ship. But at the same time, everybody's happy. So when you strip all the materialistic things in life, and and you can see that in this country also people divide themselves you know so there's that you know it's funny money is is uh, the root of all evil and i experienced that myself being coming from a country where they had absolutely everything not having anything but in that period of not having anything people come together and they help each other out it's it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful feeling and uh, and that gave me a lot of hunger gave me a lot of passion um, when i decided to come to the uk um, when i when i was waiting at a bus stop and I saw people complaining that the bus was late for two minutes. And I'm thinking, you know, I had to 
pull people out of a bus to get into a bus. You're complaining that the bus is too late, two minutes. I'm like, if I don't become prime minister, this is how I used to think. If I don't become prime minister, not that I had any eligibility to become prime minister, <laughs> but my mindset was, if I don't become prime minister of this country in two years time, I've not achieved anything. And that was my mindset coming into, into England. And hence me knocking on the door at Charlton or going to any other club, I just, there was no other option for me but to succeed. So but again, it's a, it was a different world. For me, that became the norm. So when I came, when that was the norm in my life, coming to the UK, I was like, like Bambi. I could not wow. believe everybody had it so easy in this country. And they're complaining. I said, what the fuck are they complaining about? You have everything. So with that passion and that, and I have to say that's those six years living in that environment, it toughened me up. So when I came to the UK, it was only natural for me to grab the bull by its horns and not think twice whether I'm going to succeed or not. I knew I was going to succeed. Congratulations, everybody, for coming up trumps on the old fair play. Bar and run, aren't we? 2.5 goals, we said. Across all three games, 2.5 goals there was not. You're looking at me as if it's my fault again, which I'll take it on the chin, Chris. I think it might I'll be your game, but we'll have to look back at the footage. <laughs> I might be wrong on that front. But uh, we go again. Huge thanks to Fair Play once again for sponsoring the series. And we've got another cosh bet. What are we going for? If you've not already got involved, download the Fair Play app and put in the code COSH and then you get our bet, which this week we are big games. Big games in the north. Man United away at Newcastle. Man City at home to Spurs. We're saying two Manchester clubs are going to pick up six points. So basically, you're betting against us. We've got the cosh bet where we bet against everybody else and it's a fiver. If Man Chance. United or Man City don't win, you're in the money. Um, if you've not already got involved with Fair Play, download the Fair Play app, Fair Play Exchange, put in that code cosh, and then you'll get the cosh bet each week. And it's just about having a bit of friendly fun, low stakes, fiver with your mates. On anything. doesn't yeah. have to be football, remember. Golf, FIFA, night out. I've been, I, we keep saying it, but I've been enjoying it, our little wages that we've been having. Is that because you keep winning? Well, <laughs> you, you should have seen me eating them what's it. <laughs> so yeah, links in the description, get yourself involved, Fair Play Exchange, just download the, the app. Put in the code COSH and you'll get the COSH bet. And obviously, it must be 18 or over. And as always, Chris, go on. See you soon. Please gamble responsibly. It was only meant to be for a month, wasn't it, originally? You came over, it was your sister. Sister living in London. Yeah, so, so my sister's left, they finished their university degree in Australia. They moved to, to London at a particular time while I was uh, living in, in Belgrade, in Serbia. Just before, are you a professional footballer in Belgrade? Yeah, I was. And I was earning 100 Deutschmarks which is uh, back then it was equivalent to 30 quid a month. A month? Yeah, a month, yeah. But in relation to hyperinflation? Well, it's hyperinflation, so, so uh, it's crazy. And we used to get paid in Deutschmarks. So when you got 100 Deutschmarks, so we had this one bill, let's say, when you, uh, let's say note, um, which was probably equivalent to five quid. It was 500 billion dinars for five quid. That's how big the inflation was back then. 
So by I'm a billionaire. He was like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So people literally carried of money. But by the time it was the next day, I mean, I don't know how businesses survived over there, but a lot of people would send monies to the families that lived abroad. And there's a lot of, let's say, expat community from that part of the world living in different parts of the world. If they just sent like 500 you know, quid a month, there's a family of four can live off that, literally. So there's a lot of people helping out. So yeah, was it towards the end of that month, did you just start thinking, so, I don't want to leave here? Yeah, so so me coming to, um, to London to visit my sisters, and that was my first experience coming to London. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I didn't want to go back. And the last night before going back the next day, my sisters organized a dinner at this uh, restaurant, which uh, does not exi exist anymore, but the restaurant was called Football Football. It was in Haymarket Street, just off Leicester Square. So we go in there and uh, and we order obviously dinner and, and the manager, I got chatting with the manager, or my sister got chatting with the manager and he turns out to be a former professional football player, that uh, Mike Trusson, that used to play, I think in, I think in the first or second division, um, and uh, and you know we got chatting. And I said, "Listen, I, I have a desire to come to England. Uh, do you guys need a goalkeeper?" Goes, How old are you? At this? I'm now 24. Right. Okay. So in the terms of a football player, yeah, you're that's old. Well into a career. That's that's old. So so this guy obviously Mike Trust and said, "Listen, we we play non-league division two, Doctor Miner's division two league." And I said, "Okay, that's very well, but I've never heard of this league before. Where's that?" You know, when you look at the premiership, you're, and he goes, well, he's got the premiership. It's That's the premiership. So you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I said, you're joking me. I, said, I can't play in that league. I said, oh, no, you'll be surprised. It's a good league. So, um, okay, I'll come. But, you know, what are the, what are the, what are, the, um, uh, what are you going to offer me? What? You know what, what's the conditions of me coming over? And he goes, well, you know, basically you you could possibly what the average wage is. It's a, uh, it's about two hundred fifty pounds. I'm like, that's good. <laughs> a week, a week. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thousand quid a month. I'm like, I'm rich. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> So then I went on to milk it a bit more. So listen, I'm finishing off my university degree. I've finished three years at university in Belgrade, sports science, PE. Um, can you guys obviously uh, enroll me at the final year at the university? And he goes, yeah, we can, but listen, let's send me your videotape over. Back then it was VHS, it was none of this uh, modern stuff. So I sent the video and Leon Shepardson, the late, he's, he's no, long, no longer with us. Uh, he owned a, a timber company in Hastings. And he looked at the video and he gave me a call. I said, hi, is this Sasha? I said, yes, it is. This is Leon Shepardson. I'm part owner of St. Leonard Stamcroft. We would like to offer you a contract to come to Montenegro. What do you need? I'm like, okay, all right, okay. Well, let's, let's yeah, get, let's a get bloody good video. So what's, what's, what's the, well, we can offer you 250 pounds a week. I'm like, I'm like, freaking rich, I'm rich. Um, we can offer you that, but we can give you an apartment also and a car and I understand that you're studying. We can enroll you. We'll pay for the tuition fees at Brighton University. I said, I'm done. That's good. And I said, listen, but I have to pay out. I have to, pay, I have to buy my own contract out from my current club. Um, he goes, what's that going to cost you? I said, 10 billion. I, 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 <laughs> 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 Just send wait, me the wait, wait, wait. <laughs> exactly. Just send me the money. I'll sort it out. Yeah. 
And, and I go, listen, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. So then I went back to the club the next day. So listen, I've decided to quit football. It said, okay, you give us 5,000 Deutschmarks, which is about two and a half thousand pounds. We'll give you the papers. I'm like, okay. So I'm now thinking that this guy's not going to pay it. I called him. I need six and a half thousand. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I said, two and a half thousand. I said, well, listen, you pay. I'll pay it when you get back, when you come to the UK. I'm like, okay. So, but my parents didn't have that money. They, they you know, I didn't have the money also. Um, and I had to borrow the money from a loan shark. And back then, loan sharks, they, you know, the, the interest rate is not per year, it's per day, literally. And if I didn't, so I borrowed this money off the loan shark. I, I told them within the month, I would give them the you know, money back. And so it wasn't two and a half thousand, that was three and a half thousand. So for, for that month, so I had to add another thousand Deutschmarks on, on top. It's a risk. So it was a risk, yeah. So then if I didn't pay that back, then, but you have to understand also, uh, anarchy ruled the streets of Belgrade. Loan sharks, you know, criminals, gangsters, mafia. That was part and parcel of the world which I lived in. Which again sounds terrible, but it's not in your everyday life. You don't it know was, any you know, but you don't want to mess with these people. You know where to go and what to do and so on. Did your mum, yeah, yeah. mum and dad know about this loan to do with this? Yeah, 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 oh. yeah. They knew. But then it was a risk. I had to take the risk. My parents didn't have the money. We couldn't borrow the money off anybody. It was a, that sort of situation. So, so you know. But I was 100% certain it's going to happen. So I did not even think it was going to happen. But realistically, it could all turn tits up. I came there, they changed their mind, whatever it is, I had to go back. Then that 2500 could have resulted in my parents losing their house, you know, within six That's months' right. time. Did your mum and dad actually know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they did know. Yeah, they did know. Um, they actually went over and, and paid um, that money that was any. So when I went there and obviously... You know, they liked the video, but then let's go training. And I, I'm like prepared for going training, got my boots and all that kind of stuff. And I said, where's the training ground? Oh, no, 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 we don't. We don't mean training ground. We, we train in the park. I'm like, I'm all kitted out as a professional. <laughs> They're in the trainers playing, you know, training in the, in the park. I'm like, where the fuck have I come? It's like, doesn't matter. So, you know, so that year at St. Lens was amazing. So the lads and team I played for, it was such good fun. It was a, an amazing introduction to English football. I remember the first game. So when, winning 1-0 was my debut. Um, luckily, they paid loan sharks and all yep. that kind of stuff. So we're winning 1-0. I come literally two, three minutes into the game. I come for a cross and there was a bit of a connection between myself and the center forward that went for the ball but i caught the ball he just sort of grazed past me so and i obviously coming from the contact i made an absolute meal of it <laughs> it's like you know you know didier drogba he's not, he's not seen he's not seen anything like this in his entire life yeah he was like you know i should have won an award an oscar award how badly sort of like traded. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is this is this Get is off. the English mentality. So so I've got I'm lying on the floor winking at my center half. So anyway, the referee called for the foul. We took the foul at the end of the game. Went to the changing room and and the coach and the manager goes to me. I said, "What the fuck were you doing?" I said, "Well, a minute to go. Came for the cross. There was a bit of a so-called collision. I just buying time." I said. Sasha, you're not in fucking Europe. You're in England. You as a goalkeeper, you come for a cross. I don't care if they chop your legs off or break your back. You can never, ever show that you're hurt. 
So when you come into any sort of duel or any type of a collision, you got to be stand up and looking at that player like, you're my bitch, I own you. This is the mentality <laughs> that you're going to have. And it was great because then I learned the English mentality, how, how, uh, which was completely opposite to where I was used to playing in, in Yugoslavia at that particular time. So you all worked out, you know, um, and that one year in non-league football was amazing for me. Absolutely amazing. It was a nice introduction to the English game. Strange because I think that mentality's probably changed now, would you say? From keeper's point of view. From from a football point of view, of you get up, you don't show any. Oh, you don't show you're hurt. You're you hurt. Guys never show that you're hurt. Never. And I love that. I really, really yeah. love that too. Nah, fucking hell. You only got to fart on them, didn't you? Because they've been shot. Yours are pretty powerful, though. So. <laughs> it could, it could not have to send a, to send a forward off his feet, to be fair. <laughs> Did you know you were too good? Did you, you played that, that season, do you think? Right, so, I'm ready to... Um, yeah, I mean, again, guys, you know, coming from Yugoslavia to play in this non-league football, and I did really well. I was, I think I was voted the best goalkeeper in the league and so on. I did, I did really, really well, but I had a really good team in front of me. So we ended up getting promoted into the Premier Division, um, Dr. Martin's Premier Division. And the last game of the season, uh, Paul Barron, who was a goalkeeper and fitness coach at Aston Villa, came up to me and asked me to come on trials with Aston Villa. So my dream was fulfilled of me getting an opportunity to play in the, in the Premiership. Had he come purposely to watch you? He what? came purposely to watch me. So there was a, I forget his name now, but he was a scout that was uh, scouting for Aston Villa. So he scouted me and Gareth Barry, funny enough. So we went, myself and Gareth Barry, we went to Aston Villa together in, in one car. I, I spent three months there. Gareth Barry ended up staying longer and signing, obviously, a contract. I didn't get the contract. That must have been mesmerising, that. For me, it was like... But the thing is, I walked into the... <laughs> I walked into the changing rooms, or first I walked past the changing rooms. I see Savo Milosevic, and Savo Milosevic uh, was together in Partizan Belgrade. So as I walked into the, into the into the training, and, and Savo Milosevic looks at me, he goes, "Kangaroo, like kangaroo." It's like, <laughs> <laughs> fuck are you doing here? I said, dude, just don't fucking score past me and we'll be all right, okay? Which so, made it a lot easier. Yeah. Mm. Um, it probably did. I can't remember. All I remember is that I was on a mission. My head is like, I'm making it. I'm, I'm got gonna, the opportunity. Uh, yeah, I've got the opportunity. So fast forward after Aston Villa, they didn't offer me a contract. I went to Plymouth and I did really well there, but they couldn't offer me a contract because they signed some other goalkeeper prior to my arrival. Uh, did that not knock to... the stuff out, sorry, Sasha, did that not knock the stuffing out of you? You know, going out with all these, it was like written. You were there with yeah. Bosnich, yeah. Milosevic, you know, when yeah. you didn't get that contract, yeah. so you're thinking, fuck. Um, you think there was the, I, that the opportunity's gone? Uh, yeah, but again, it was for me, okay, it's their loss. My headset is like, you've lost out. You've, you've made a mistake. That's how I saw it. It didn't knock on my confidence one single bit. For me, you've made the biggest mistake of your life. For me, it was just playing in the professional league. For me, the ultimate goal was to play in the professional league. And I know I will do well. Things will be waiting for me. If not straight away in the premiership, somewhere down the line, it's going to happen. So that's how I thought anyway. So my mindset was completely focused, self-belief 150%. And there's nobody in this world that could even change that uh, mentality of mine at that particular time. 
So even though, I, again, Plymouth didn't offer me anything, they didn't have anything, but they really liked me. That sort of encouraged me that I'm on the right path. So then through my connection at um, one of the players in St. Leonard's, there was a, um, David, his name was, um, um, anyway, he was a player that was sponsored from Zimbabwe by one of the Charlton Athletic football club's uh, directors of the club. So he was living in the States, the director, but he financed uh, this, sponsored this kid to come right. to St. Lynn. So it was just pure chance that I met him there. And then he called Mike Stevens uh, from Charlton. Can you organize a trial for me? So I made a few phone calls. I went knocking on Charlton's door. Not that I knew I was coming anywhere. I think that was just like, they looked at me from head to toe. So you literally knocked on the door? Just knocked on the door. They had no idea I was coming. But as soon as I mentioned Mike Stevens... That got like, you that through the enough. door. That got me through the door. I met Curbs. I didn't know who Curbs was. was like <laughs> Did he know who you were? Uh, I, it's funny if there was another... Well, I, <laughs> Look for Curbs. <laughs> curbs around Is there a Curbs in the, is there a oh, curbs in the building? Little man, slightly balding. <laughs> <laughs> funny if I, I approached... Uh, I think he was the reserve team manager, but that particular thing that was Kirbishly, so I had no idea. I'm like, that's Kirbs over there. Okay, so they said, get changed off the pitch. So I started training with the reserve team. Did they think? Did they just think, oh, bless him? Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Bless him, we'll give him a talking. We'll let him, let's, yeah. Let's, have a day. let's give, give him a run out. Give him his dinner and let him fuck off. That's it, yeah, <laughs> let's whip his ass, basically. So, funny enough, they couldn't score a goal past me. I, I was, but you have to understand, three months at preseason with with uh, with Aston Villa. Then went obviously to Plymouth, did well there, and I was prepared. I was like, do you I know when buzzing. you're at Aston Villa and yep. you're training with Bosnich and Michael Oakes? Were it how, how far did you think you were off them? They are established Premier League. Do you yeah, think yeah. I'm not fucking far off them? No, I'm. For me, I was technically maybe even better, you know, because I had top-notch training in Serbia twice a day with the top-notch goalkeeper coach. So you've got you've got that self-belief from actual visuals of training with a Premiership goalkeeper. So I mean, my self-belief stems from living in that part of the world uh, that was broken up and dreaming about giving the opportunity to to train um, in these football clubs. But when I stepped out on the pitch, I did not see myself inferior in any uh, sense of the word. Did I was so, so focused. I was so confident that there was nobody on this planet that could knock my confidence down at all. Did, That's, you know, you talked about the bus stop before and yeah. coming from Yugoslavia. Did that give you an edge? Did you think I'm hungrier? Oh, I was hungry. I was hungry. I've experienced. I was hungry. Yeah, hungry. And if you ask any of the players at that particular time when I was at Charlton, when I knocked on the door, when I started playing for you know training with the reserve team, obviously getting chances playing for the for the you know training with the first team before even signing a contract with them. So the word that you would associate uh, myself with them was being hungry for it, and that hunger of wanting to succeed is what. Um, gave me the opportunity to justify my me being there, not just being there on trial for one day, but it justified me being there and competing with the, the first and second choice goalkeeper at Charlton, even at Astonville. I did not see them being any better than myself. Can you remember the first session? Like, obviously, you mentioned about being a bit of a token trial. Remember the first session when you actually did well and what the coaches were like were you? Oh, no, no. They <laughs> So um, that first training session... Uh, with the reserve team, they couldn't score a goal past me. Then you had Keith Peacock, who I love in the door, came up to me and goes, uh, 
so where, where did you come from? He's like, who are you? <laughs> and I go, keep, where do I start? <laughs> I'm not curbs. I'm curb history. You're not curbs. You don't eat curbs. But listen, my knowledge of the English game back then, you didn't have the social media as you have now and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so back then, you know, it was very, very different. But they were like, you're bloody good. So where'd you come from? Um, so you've got seven days to give me a contract or I'm, or I'm leaving. You know, I've been messing around with these two other clubs. I want, I want a contract. If you don't give me a contract, again, I'm giving them an ultimatum mm, yeah. because I've got so much self-belief in myself maybe stupidly, maybe completely against any sort of norm or normal way of thinking. But then when those seven days came and I had this one game, a reserve, well, let's say friendly game against Wellington, which is a conference league team, didn't particularly have much to do. There was a bit of misunderstanding between myself and a central defender came out, called for it. He knocked the ball out of my hand. They ended up scoring. And on the basis of that one particular game, they could not offer me a contract. And I said, fine, it's your loss, but is it possible for me to keep on training with you guys until I find some other team? So I was still in my head, it's your loss. If you don't sign me, it's your loss. So that's, that was the mentality. I was it's so a massive focused. risk again, though, isn't it? Like, to the, that, but it is a risk, but I had nothing to lose. It works either way because you're either going to say, who the fuck does he think he is? Yeah. I say in seven days, or I tell you what, this lad here has oh, got some like self-belief. We like yeah. it, yeah. But again, um, you, it's, it's a risk. Yeah, um, it, it, listen, me... <laughs> Me leaving Yugoslavia when they all kicked off and coming back, that was a risk. So me coming, packing my bags and coming to the UK was a risk. You know, everything that I've done. The biggest risk fucking shark. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that's all it is. But I did not see that as a problem because I was so focused in everything I do. It's probably now more difficult to do these risks when you've got something to lose. When you've got fuck all to lose, when you take this risk, you're going to fall back onto fuck all anyway. So, uh, I get it, but you did have a contract to lose. Mm, well, I didn't have a contract to lose. Not that they offered me a contract, but, yeah. uh, but again, I was, I was setting the bar. It was something that I offered. But then, you know, the fact that they said I could come back and train uh, just gave me, because uh, I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed the lads. You know, they sort of all accepted me. I got on really well with the coaching staff, with all the players. So it just felt like it was meant for me to be there. So when, again, fast forward, I started playing for the reserve. I signed, registered for Charlton. They, I think they were paying for my, because um, I was living in, in in West London, in Putney at my sister's place, sleeping on the couch, which is about a meter short. But I'll get up in the morning, jump on the train, two hours from Putney to Southeast London. I'll come to a training session maybe an hour, half an hour before, I'll stay after training for another hour. But I did that because I loved it, you know, and uh, I got on with it well for the players. And uh, So did they sign you on, obviously you talked about that game, but on the basis of your training, training on the carrying training, on. Yeah. So I just, playing. just couldn't get rid of him. He's coming in anywhere. <laughs> Curbs, like go, goalkeeper coach, Curbs. He's like a fucking genital wife. Just, just give him fucking summit, will you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was very difficult for them to get rid of me. Not that I wanted to leave anyway, but uh, but it was it was great because you know they gave me the opportunity and I got on really well with it, with everybody. I sort of sort of blended in, and I didn't ask for anything. I just wanted to, they could have gave me like you know a couple of thousand pounds a month. I would have signed for it. You know, at the beginning, at the beginning. But then I started playing for the reserve team, and for about seven eight games, 
um, in the reserve games on the trot. I kept seven, eight games, uh, clean sheets on those seven, eight games. Then I started getting noticed. So there was this one, again, once you start playing and doing well, and I did really, really well in the reserve team. Were you third choice at this point? I was third choice, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the second so. choice, would he just be on the bench and not? He was on the bench, yeah. That's so right. like, so after like, he was, was number one, number two. Uh, you had Mike Salmon, who was uh, first choice. You had, uh, uh, sorry, Andy Pedersen. Then Mike He's Salmon Australian. Was Australian, Andy Pedersen, yeah. But then Mike Salmon got injured. Andy Pedersen started uh, being number one. Then I was promoted to now be the reserve player. A few months afterwards, as I was reserve goalkeeper uh, for Charlton, um, Stoke away, uh, we weren't doing particularly well. I don't think Andy Pedersen was having, he had a couple of maybe semi-bad games, um, but then Kirbishley decided to put me in goals. It was a game, midweek game against Stoke. Do you remember the conversation? Oh, no, no, there was no conversation. So I'm there literally a few games before that game, I'm in the coach, you know, carrying the bags of all the players, bringing them food, helping. Do you understand? I was just happy yeah. to be there. You know, I'm carrying. <laughs> it's like you enjoy your lunch. Tea, coffee, refreshments. Yeah, yeah, well, Medium rare curbs. No. I, was just, yeah, I, was, I, was just, I was just super happy being there. And I remember it was because um, it was a midweek game. We were obviously, obviously spent the night and next day we had like team talk in, in that hotel. And he has that sort of. Uh, that board, that paper board, whatever you call it, with, uh, with the team sheet. And I see Illich, Kerbis goes, uh, made a couple of changes. We're putting Sasha in goals today. <gasps> if I didn't shit my pants, then I don't think I would have <laughs> shit my pants. No idea it would come in. I had no idea. No idea. You do so stop he... folding shirts and go and sit right the front. Oh my Kerbis, <laughs> can you get a cup of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> We need to speak about the contract. Yeah. <laughs> Patterson, you know what the, you know what the kettle is. <laughs> A little massage would do, do well before the game. <laughs> oh my god, the nerves kicked in, the adrenaline started pumping. Uh, I was I was really really like, fuck, it's happening. This is the chance. So funny enough, my father actually came from Yugoslavia. He went with the with the fans on the coach to watch that particular game. So he was a witness to my first... Just by luck? By Just luck. by luck you were here? Really? Pure, pure by luck. So we're playing midweek in Stoke. I think it was late February. I think it was late February. Tuesday game. night. So it's always Rainy. a tough place. Rainy. 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 Oh, it's a tough place to go. <laughs> I'm looking at the crowds, like 20,000, 30,000, whatever, 20,000 people that came out. I never played more than in front of they say four or 5,000 people. Now it's like a beautiful stadium, floodlit. You know, the, the pitch is like, coming from where I came from, that was like the Wembley, literally. Playing that game, so we ended up uh, winning 2-1. I considered a goal, but I played really well. I, I think, I don't know if I was man of the match, but I was, as a debut player, I played really well. So that was my first debut game. Um, and like I said, I think it was about 18 games up to the playoff final, 14 games, clean sheets, uh, 10, 19 games, nine games, clean sheets leading up to the Wembley playoff final. So, so hold I on a minute. absolutely how many, how many games? So how think, many games is that Stoke game to uh, the end of the season? I think about you're... 13 games, maybe. 14 games. Nine games was uh, the semi final second leg against Ipswich. 
So that was nine games clean sheets. Consecutive. 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 Now you're busy in these games, or are you? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, but doing... you have to understand is also we were like mid-table at the time. We weren't doing particularly well. I think uh, introduction of Eddie Owls, the centre half, came in. He, Kirby's made a few more signings. Um, the team was very compact. Uh, I played out of my skin, but everybody played out of the skin. The whole team gelled together. It's like one of those situations where. You know, when the ball bounces, it can bounce against you, it can bounce for you. The ball always bounced in our favour. You know, so it was it was a great team effort. All the lads were all for one, one for all. And, you know, once you start keeping clean sheets for us, it was normal. It's like going to the game, I'm going to keep a clean sheet. It's, it's normal. So going to Wembley, I'm like keeping a clean sheet. Of course I'm going to keep a clean sheet. But you don't understand that particular time, especially me coming from knocking on the door, start playing the reserve team, playing for the first team. Um, like I said, I was in this bubble. I ended up buying this old uh, Rover. It was, a, it was a car that was leaking oil. So they always used to tell me, don't park my car in, in the parking <laughs> lot because I'll lose about one litre of oil. Go <laughs> <laughs> plastic you sheet know, out, Sasha's yeah, here. Exactly. <laughs> but then, you know, I drive a car like that, you know, I'm, next week I'm playing at Wembley for, you know, 80,000, 90,000 people, you know. So, so when did you get your contract? So so Charlton cheekingly offered me a contract uh, a week before Wembley. So you've been playing without a contract? Uh, I, I had well, a contract, but it was like week a grand, grand. I think it was at the end of the season, but it right. was like a grand a, a month or two grand a month. I was something ridiculously small. Yeah. But I didn't care. For me, the money wasn't an issue. I, I was fulfilling my childhood dreams. <laughs> Checking. So, you made, so you, made, you made your debut in February, your full league debut yeah. in February and the last game of that season is that playoff final yes fucking hell but this is Nine me this is me being this like is well a bull in a you know a pig headed uh, person fully focused hungry to succeed but I found a home I found Charlton was a home I felt so comfortable there I, I, I got on really well with all the lads I got on well with the coaching staff I got on well uh, nothing was difficult for me. I would wake up every morning with a big smile on my face and go to Charlton. At first, I told them, guys, I got no money. You know, um, I need, I need money. I need money because I, I was living at my sister's place at that particular time. Um, Were your so, legs still off couch? Oh, off the couch, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the first, the first <laughs> curves. Any chance you put in a hotel the night before the final? Warmed up yeah. for ten minutes. <laughs> Warmed up for ten minutes in kitchen before he got to training. Yeah, yeah. I ended up, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, um, yeah. I ended up moving Chiswick uh, later on. Um, yeah, then and did I, all the, I got, I got, a, I got a full king size bed afterwards. So <laughs> did the lads and the the fans and everything. So you say it's a family club. Did the lads and the fans all know this? I think the players did. Yeah, the players did. Yeah, like you sleep on your because sister's I couch. remember. I remember one particular time. Uh, this was when I was still playing for the reserve team. Um, we weren't getting the results at that particular time, so. Uh, and I'm sitting there, team talk, you know, uh, just before the training session, and Curves will get, you know, get up and and you know start criticizing the players. Oh, you know, you're driving your fancy cars here, and they always use the fancy car sort of uh, guilt trip on all the players if they didn't didn't do particularly well. You come in all in your fancy cars, but you're not putting the effort on the pitch. You know, you look at him. I'm like, 
He's pointing at me. I'm like, who's he pointing at? Because the lads come in. Pissing oil all over the car park. Before I had a car. This is before when I was coming, you know, by train. He goes, he's come in. He's an hour here before, an hour after training. He's like always got a big happy smiley face. You guys are mooning, la, la, la. And it's like, oh, God, he's just made, you know, all the lads are going to hate me now. He's used me as an example. But again, it was just that mentality that I had uh, where I think – money was not even something that I even thought about. The contract was for me to just to secure a contract. From, you know, I had no idea what I could get. But you do get. need a bit. You do need some money, don't you, to live? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even from a supporter's perspective, you know, you have this kind of mystical or ideological thought of the team and the club and everything. Not, at not one point do you think your goalkeeper taking you into Wembley's Sleeping, sleeping mm. on his sister's couch with yeah. his legs hanging oh, off. Pretty much, yeah. Travelling yeah. an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. By the time he got to that uh, Wembley, I already moved out of that sister's place. I moved into another place in Chiswick, which was my other sister's place. So I had a I had a king size bed. But I oh, was fucking luxury! Oh. <laughs> I'd fucking save that penalty if I'd have been play, if I'd have been sleeping in a fucking king size bed. Where were you? <laughs> but that that was the reality. But again, if it wasn't for me. Even though I wanted the contract, I just wanted to be part of a club. But I never, ever thought about the money side of things. For me, it was just achieving that childhood dreams. It was the focus and the hunger to achieve it. A silly question, I suppose. But Wembley and everything around it, from obviously watching English football from Australia and Yugoslavia, mm. must have been anticipation, excitement. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't even know how to maybe surreal. You know, everything up until that point was like it was meant to happen but it was surreal or knowing that you're going to be playing at Wembley was like I pinched myself so many times some, well, some the say the greatest focus. playoff of all times well they said the nine consecutive clean sheets went out of the fucking win didn't you <laughs> conceded a bastard four didn't you <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean listen it was a combined effort of obviously with all the team and, and like I said we all gelled together we were one team it was it was um, you know, from from my position to the centre forwards up front, we, we just felt like we were one big happy family. And I think when you have that in a team, especially when you start winning games, keeping clean sheets, it becomes the norm. Then mentally, it becomes something that it's natural for us, and the confidence raises. You know, the bar of confidence raises. To- Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Another level. Must have been so some good celebrations afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were there any lunatics in the team, in the squad? Not really, no. No, you probably always find in one team. Well, yeah, there was not one, one fucking one, about. And, yeah. It's usually a keeper yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the keepers are notorious for that. But um, unfortunately, I'm not one of those. Uh, <laughs> but I think when you look at every team that win any sort of competition, whether it's Champions League, the Premiership, first, second, 
second league, third league, whatever the competition FA Cup. I think I think there's there is that necessity for the team to feel like a family where they they're all in it together, all for one, one for all. The basic question is: anybody shitting in wash bags and pissing on each other in showers and stuff like that yeah. in, your, in your squad? <laughs> that's what that's the nitty gritty. That's what I'm really asking about. <laughs> is, is Mark Bright pissing on <laughs> Clive and Donker in the shower? Not that I remember. <laughs> <laughs> there were some. There was some something similar, but not that gross. Definitely. No. <laughs> Yeah, there there have been a few stitch, stitch, you know, people stitching each other up and all that kind of stuff, but no, not to that vulgarity, not to my knowledge anyway. Was the know. was the English dressing room different to the dressing room where you come from? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Oh in, yeah. In what ways? Um, I think I think it's it's a cultural thing more than anything else. You know, Christmas dues and when we get together. All the lads will drink 10, 15 pints, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's like, how can you drink so much? What is that? <laughs> they go to the loo while they're having a wee, you're pissed, they're, they're drinking, knocking back the pint of lager. So for me, that was that was crazy. That was absolutely crazy. Did but, you embrace it? I did embrace it with drinking shandy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after two shandies, I was like, I was like gone. You know, that was me swinging off a pole literally somewhere. But um, yeah, I think there is a lot of cultural differences between, let's say, the continental football than what it is over here. Here, it was a bit more laid back. It's all about taking the make, taking the piss out of each other and, you know, um, and enjoying it. You know, wherever in the continent, it's a bit more sort of serious. It's... Um, to a certain point, obviously. Going into that next season, I'm guessing you'd class yourself as number one. You got promoted as number one. Yeah. You saved the penalty. Yeah. How were you when Kylie came in? Uh, so Kylie came in the year after. So that year, that year when when we got promoted, I was obviously still number one. The first game was Southampton. We beat them five nil. Second game, Arsenal nil all, and Newcastle we drew one zero zero also um, against Newcastle at St James's Park. So it was like the first three games. So for for us, it was like so in terms another of step day. up. Yeah, yeah. You, for me, you know, yeah, yeah. So you, in my head, it was like easy peasy. It's Premier League nonsense. Look at this here. Get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you start off the season like that, then, you know, it's very hard not to, you know, uh, think like that. But unfortunately, the f I think the first few games were like, at one point, we were like on top of the league. Um, within the first three or four games, you know, the game, you know, the points that we accumulated. After 10 games, it was... Um, was getting a bit sort of we couldn't score you know and would after half maybe five chances from outside uh we couldn't convert whereas half a chance and that's the difference between the premiership and the yeah. championship you know they you know most of these experienced um you know premiership clubs you give them half a chance they'll, they'll convert then the frustration sort of sets in you're conceding goals not you're not losing five, five you know three four five nil you're losing one nil now you're losing one nil week in, week out. Then after 10 games, I think we were maybe mid-table or just above mid-table, but which, we weren't scoring goals. Which on the grand scheme of things, from promotion, yeah. if you're mid-table after 10 games, yeah. obviously you've got to feel a great yeah, start. Yeah. Mid you'd take that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, we, we did well, but it was extremely... 
the, again, even the fans weren't happy because we were a bit more defensive. I think this is a probably a learning curve for even for the coaching staff, for us, where we were used to attacking and, you know, winning games. All of a sudden, you're on the back foot um, trying not to concede goals to to get something out of the game and worried more about the opponents, how they play, rather than how we set our game forward, you know. So um, it was a learning curve for everybody, for the players, for the coaching staff. No, as a goalkeeper, when you're in the Premier League, yeah. could you... The golf indifference in strikers when you're talking about them world class players yeah. that the you know maybe taking an extra touch and then Big all difference. of a sudden it's it's coming. It's so coming even out, even yeah. the the I re distinctly remember uh, Mark Hughes was playing for Southampton and he was like in these later years of his career, and even though we beat you know Southampton five nil, Mark Hughes, oh my god, you give him. Half a chance, and luckily that day he didn't convert anything. But you can just sense this energy, this this uh, this 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 being in front of you that you think, "Fuck!" If he comes in front of me, you know, he's going to score. Yeah. You know, and luckily for us, we had obviously centre halves that took care of him. But and the you, kangaroo in the stick. Well, that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> but it is Skip a huge it. difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. Huge. Even Alan Shearer, you know, when played against uh, all these other bigger clubs. But maybe it's also that psychological sort of, um, you know, once you step in, because playing in the, in the championship is one thing. As a, you know, there is a difference in the playing quality. But when you step up a, a level at, in the Premiership, it's the media acknowledgement that you get, whether you do something great or you do something bad, it's emphasized by 100 more. So there's that added pressure, especially coming back from a league where you're winning every single game. Now you're struggling to get a result. And, and anything that you do, especially if you do something bad, it's, it's overemphasized by 100. Then you mentally have to get, get over that. You need, you need some sort of support mechanism. You need to, but that comes with experience. You're on about the media scrutiny. Can you remember the, your first bollock that you dropped? Yeah. So, because on match of the day, they always highlight it. Were you just one of them that were out of sight, out of mind? So, so um, I, I don't know what, what game it was from, from the start of the season. Um, so there was a game away we played against Chelsea. Um, so after within 35, 40 minutes, uh, I came out for, you know, there was a long ball. Kasuragi was playing centre forward for Chelsea at the time. And Richard Rufus, our centre half, was obviously taking care of him uh, as much as, as he could. But there's a long ball. I came out rushing off my line and I managed to, on the edge of the box, to dive into the legs uh, to catch the ball. So Richard Rufus was in front of Kasiragi and Kasiragi gave him a nudge. Richard Rufus trying to jump over me because I had the ball literally in my hand as I dived into the feet. In full sprint, he caught me with his knee in my jaw and I was knocked out cold. So I'm like, I, not that I remember much of the game. It's only when I look back on the on the video footage. So what happened was uh, uh, they couldn't. I was knocked out cold, but they couldn't get the ball out of my hands. <laughs> Literally, was I was like, I was stiff. It's like somebody sniped. It's like somebody sniped. Like get the defib on. Stand back. Forget the defib. Get a crowbar over here. We need to get this ball back. <laughs> so that was that was that was difficult. Um, in this, for two reasons. Um, well, the first embarrassing moment, because my mum was over, 
uh, and she obviously watched the game and I never ever liked my mum watching the game because she tends to sort of panic if something happens on the pitch and so on. And uh, obviously when I was younger, she always would come on the pitch if something happened to me, if I cried injured or something, she would always jump on the pitch. But nothing really changed even after 20 years. So when I got knocked out on the pitch, as I was trying to pull the ball out, uh, apparently my mum <laughs> jumped over there. <laughs> So she's running and as they carry me off uh, on, on the stretcher um, and it's, my mum has always embarrassed me in those sort of scenarios and all that Just kind of stuff. Her. So, so up I was up to the point where we were getting knocked out as they put me in, in, the, in the ambulance as I was driving, they ushered my mum into the ambulance too. And being knocked out, you can sort of hear something, but you can't. But the only thing I could hear was my mum. And her annoying, beautiful voice sort <laughs> of got me out of that uh, out of that uh, coma, or temporary coma that I was in. So then I came to, literally, as I was going to hospital. Um, but then for about, they say every minute that you're out, I was out for a good 20 minutes. I was out. Really? Good, yeah, yeah, I was out for a good 20 minutes. So they say for every minute that you're out, that's the amount of weeks that you have to sort of step out. And obviously, I couldn't wait. I'm saying I was fine. So I had some sort of post-concussion syndrome, definitely, because I lost a stone in weight. My concentration levels weren't that Can great. Can I help me, Richard uh, Rolfus? Come and, come and fucking knee me. Guy, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless him. So he did the best he could, unfortunately. My, <laughs> my jaw got in the way. Um, but so then when I got back in the team, uh, I think it was after two weeks I got back in the team. But then, you know, we didn't have the performances. I started making some silly errors. My focus, my concentration was there. I lost a bit of weight and all that kind of stuff. Then after, I don't know how long that was, but uh, I fell out of the team and got back into the team. But I, I, I sort of lost that when confidence. I wasn't 100%. And it's funny how one game can make you, another game can absolutely break you. Mm -hmm. And being in the premiership, you're as good as the last game. So it's a very, very cutthroat. And, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, and unfortunately we got relegated that season. It was the last game of the match, the last game of the season that determined whether we we're going to stay up or go down. So unfortunately we got, we got relegated and that's when obviously Dean Kylie came um, and I remember, it's so funny because, you know, us players, we talk, um, you know, between us and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we say the good and the bad, whether it's the players, whether it's the coaching staff or the methodology of training sessions and so on. And, you know, we will talk amongst ourselves. And when Curbs called us one by one, just to have a, like a general conversation with him to see where we went wrong, where we went wrong, what we could have done better. You know, I told him how, from my perspective, after obviously speaking with all the players, I told him how, you know, we thought that certain parts of, of us were to blame, certain parts of the training methods that we had was to blame, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, I spoke my mind, I said, my truth, not that it was probably the truth, but it was my truth. That's how I saw things. Is this on a one-to-one -one meeting? Yeah, it was one-to-one -one meeting, one-to-one -one meeting. 
Do you think like most the players that were saying the same things as me that would say yeah, the but were they saying opposite. it to you? Did they say it with Kerblish? Definitely not. No. No. Definitely. But you, you so you've all had these conversations and you've yeah, got to know what yeah, to what I mean. Yeah, yeah trade is shit. He's <laughs> shit. He's shit. We've all we're in a new fucking keeper. <laughs> <laughs> this chelpy fucking Australian bastard can fuck off. <laughs> Too much the one to with say. the big tail. <laughs> <laughs> Played a fucking so, few games. So I was a bit naive. I Do you think say, you yeah, spoke yeah. too much of your mind oh, in that meeting? Well, I don't know if that was the determining factor, but then they got uh, <laughs> Dean Kiley, who was annoyingly consistent and very, very good. So I was up against him. Um, obviously, they they got him. They saw him. And that season when he came in, um, they got promoted. I didn't get to play a game that season. And that following season, I think he played half the season. I played the second half of the season and I did really, really well. We ended up finishing, um, you know, ninth on the table, which was which was great. Uh, but then that was the opportunity for me because I had another year left on my contract. And I, you know, asked Curbs, Curbs, I have some interested parties. I actually got Aik, Greece from Aik, interested in me now that I played the second half of the season. You know, nobody's going to touch me if I don't play. So is there a chance that you can obviously let me go for a nominal fee and all that kind of stuff? He goes, well, no, because if you to go, we can't find somebody to replace you for the monies that we're paying and so on and so on. So, you know, again, you know, maybe we- missed, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't sort of good from his part, but then he's looking out for the team and his interests. So um, was there a fallout there? No, it wasn't a fallout. He yeah. wouldn't just let me go. So you, you know. love Charlton that much, but you wanted to fuck off to Greece. Yeah, I loved I loved Sudakis and <laughs> Satikis and you know Giros and all that kind of stuff. All that in Greece. How was your contract situation? You've been rewarded, you know, from when we were talking earlier no, no, no. about the a thousand pound a month or whatever. Well, no, I did sign up a contract, signed a contract which was far League. better than the. Yeah, but again, but in comparison, times, in comparison to all the other players, I was probably the lowest paid player, definitely. Yeah. As your mindset changed a little bit, as you've got more comfortable, where we talked earlier yeah. about that hunger, and yeah. I'm going to be number one. Yeah. Now you've got this so, little bit of self doubt. Yeah, there. so so funny you should say that. So going back now, when when I established myself as a Premiership goalkeeper, we got promoted that year. Obviously, in the first ten games were doing quite well. Then it's sort of, you know, even after that little, uh, that game against Chelsea where I got knocked out, then they came back in and I was, then things started to be a bit sort of, fuck, you know, it's like, I'm now I'm like, I've achieved so much. It's now it's coming to me now, everything that I've done in the last maybe 18 months, or even a bit longer than that now. Um, I've established myself, I've got so many friends and People patting me on the back. I'm an established Premiership goalkeeper on, on the credits of Match of the Day. The first thing that appears on the Match of the Day is my mug on the, on, on the you know. <laughs> so you know these are these are amazing things. You know something that you can tell your kids in the years to come and grandchildren and so on. That you know I was there and done that, being there and done that. So, uh, but then one day as I was I was as I was explaining to you guys earlier on, I'm you know in my beautiful apartment in in Blackheath. Uh, you know, I'm standing there and, you know, all these people just put me on this pedestal. I'm always explaining to people that I've not changed. Everybody's accusing me that I've changed. And it's this never in the battle that I'm trying to prove to people that I'm exactly the same person whilst all these things are happening on the, on the pitch. And uh, and I 
and I'm like, I had this epiphany in my head. It's like, you know, is this all this, all, all this that I've achieved? Is, is this is this my childhood, childhood dreams that I'm now living at? Is is this it? Is 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 there anything more than this? I you mean, you not think it were as good as what you thought it would be? No, no, no. Because now there's you don't see the reality of things behind. You don't see the good and the bad. You see the good from afar, but once you get there, there's a lot of badness behind that, where you're now alone. You're you're judged by every move that you make. Uh, your family, your friends, their perception of you has changed and they're sort of judgmental on you saying that you've changed, but I'm like, I've not changed. So I'm going to have to go out of my way to prove to people I'm exactly the same sort of person. Then one day, if you have a good game, that's great. If the next week you have a bad game, it's like, it's a roller coaster. Ride. You've got no one to speak to. There's, there's, there's this void around you. Um, and you have to find a way to deal with all that kind of stuff. But then I wasn't prepared to deal with all that stuff who is prepared to do all that stuff I, I don't know i didn't have um you know people in that position to give me sort of certain advice on how to deal with certain things when things go good or when things go bad so then you know then that self-doubt sort of crept in at one particular time and then then once we started having bad results then then you can't help but start looking at yourself is it me then you got you know it knocks on your confidence he has a detrimental effect psychologically then you're not now approaching the game like I will kick ass here. Now you're like, you got certain amounts of self-doubt also. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, but in the other direction, how you started off. So um, that's what I'm saying that, you know, maybe if I didn't save the penalty at Wembley and I had another season in the championship, maybe that would have been a lot better for me to prepare me for these sort of things. Whereas I was thrown in, in the fire um, straight away in the premiership coming from non-league football. It happens so quickly that you don't really have time to adjust to maybe to figure out certain things out, how to deal with certain things so too. In, in simple forms, do you think that your personal career could have been better had you had in, Charlton lost that playoff final? In, in hindsight, maybe, and you never know, I could have got injured, you know, you, ne you never know. But I think if I had, ideally, if I had another season under my belt in the championship, in the championship I think it would have been far better for me Um if I was to get into the premiership the year after. And it's only precisely that when the shit is the fan, how you deal with that kind of stuff. I didn't have the tools to deal with the stuff, especially when I got knocked out at Chelsea, coming back too mm -hmm. soon. I uh, didn't know how to deal with, um, with obviously not playing well, then I get this sort of self-doubt, then I have this sort of, where am I? Maybe, I'm, maybe I fooled all these people that I'm a great goal, maybe I'm not, you know, the self-doubt kicks mm -hmm. in. But then you're not having much luck on the playing pitch because we're losing games. Not my fault, but you know it's how it is. We're, we're sort of maybe a bit too much, you know, more than we can chew. I suppose I don't mm. know. Uh, so Again, that's all hindsight, and that's all in hindsight. Oh, yeah, yeah. On yeah. you as an like an individual. Yeah, you yeah. Might, you, you might have been looking back at it different. You might have had an unbelievable season at Charlton, got to move to Villa, got to move yeah. to Manchester United. Yeah, yeah have, maybe. It could have been. In yeah. hindsight of how it's But where I came from, where I've ended up and how I finished, I wouldn't change anything. That's that's my pathway. Yeah. I could have had a far better career. Maybe I couldn't, you know, if I didn't have the ballsiness in me to knocking on doors, maybe I wouldn't have had a career at all. So uh, you got to take the good and the bad. But at, at, the, at, at the end of the day, I'm happy where I am today. And what my pathway to where, where I came from, what I've succeeded and where I'm right now, 
ultimately it's where I am now, what is the most important thing. And where I am now, I'm super, super happy and extremely content. Did you enjoy the journey more than the destination? The journey is always far better than the actual destination. And I think when you get to that point where you're content, you need to reinvent yourself to create another journey in your life. Sassy, have you been to Magaluf? I have. Yeah. I can guarantee you the destination <laughs> is certainly better than the fucking <laughs> I've been there, completely agree with you. <laughs> and I'm honest with you, on the way home, it's fucking still <laughs> even better than the fucking <laughs> journey. That's even w walking to Magaluf. Hitchhiking <laughs> to Magaluf. <laughs> we had loads of people ask about your West Ham debut. Yeah, so that, that was crazy. That was crazy. So I was super. This is when Dean Kylie came in that year when, when we got promoted. Um, uh, home. He, uh, so yeah, I was at Charlton. Then then I think Shaka Hislop was was injured and and um, Harry Redden up here. So he called Curbs and Curbs said, "Yeah, you can you can take him." So I was there for a month, and um, I walked into the changing rooms. I you know met up with uh, uh, who was the centre half at the time. Um, Igor Stimats was the center half. Uh, so, but then again, it was it was very close after the civil war. His Croatian, I'm Serbian. For me, I don't care if you're a good person, whether you're Afghanistani or whatever it is. As long as you're a good-hearted person, for me, nationality, religion doesn't. It's never come into into question. So, as I walked in, I wasn't quite sure what his mindset was. So, as I walked in. He made a joke of the political parties and presidents. And so we got on like house on fire when, as soon as I walked in. Then I see, obviously, you had, uh, you know, Rio Ferdinand. You had, uh, he was Razor Raddick that was, he was there. Trevor Sinclair. Oh my God, he was an unbelievable player. Um, you know, Michael Carrick was there, Joe Cole. And when you think back of these players, you know, these players played all for England and um, became superstars some, in their own right. Some squad-like, isn't it? Oh, an unbelievable squad. I'm super happy. This is my chance to get back in there to prove myself. But again, it's all about proving, proving yourself. And coming into Jamie, sorry, Harry, Harry's, uh, Harry Redknapp's uh, training sessions, it was completely different to what I was used to at Charlton. It's far more relaxed. You get, you know, you step out of the changing rooms, you're like, you know, playing keep ball, you play to a side. Right, training's finished. Off you go. And all the lads go to a pub and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it was crazy. Sounds perfect. <laughs> it was crazy, yeah. <laughs> so then the only person that would stay behind and I would have stayed behind with him was um, Frank Lampard. So he would ask me to stay behind for him to practice these drills of, you know, taking shots from, you know, 16, you know, 18 yards out, 16 yards out, 20 yards out, free kicks, uh, dribbling and taking shots. And I would spend another maybe half an hour, 45 minutes with him. But he was probably the most committed player in the sense of of his drive and, and wanting to improve himself. So, uh, but all the other players was like, right, finish, let's go. And um, no, it was great. But unfortunately for me, my debut was against Everton. Yeah, we didn't particularly do well. Uh, at, at West Ham, we fuck lost to West Ham. Fucking got hammered, hammered. Uh, silly mistakes. The game was really bad. That I'm like taking unnecessary risks, trying to, you know. And I turned out. I think I was at fault one of the goals. 
Um, but you know, by the time I made that mistake, we were already like three nil down West, anyway. West Ham fans, it were four of the goals. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I got injured after that game anyway, so I couldn't play the other game that I was supposed to play. Was there a story about uh, Costa? Uh, George Costa, yeah. Um, so, you know, we're quite fortunate, Charlton, that, you know, when we, we established ourselves as a, you know, uh, you know, as a pretty decent team in the Premiership, um, you know, we were able to get in, you know, decent sort of players. George Costa was one of them. And George Costa was uh, was one of them. And, and me being, let's say, one of the foreigners, inverted commas, foreigners that Portuguese, everybody... Portuguese, George Costa. Yeah, George Costa played for Porto. He played for Portugal as the captain, captain Portuguese side. But he was one of those guys, moody looking, but the loveliest guy on this planet. He was so nice, such a lovely guy. But he had this persona and this, you know, the way he sort of, uh, uh, you know, portrayed himself in public that nobody would even dare to come in and say hello to him. But because obviously he was foreign and you know the the coaching staff everybody at Charlton thought I spoke about 15 languages they sort of <laughs> placed him with me I roomed with him he was my roomie and all that kind of stuff at changing and and he spoke you know he spoke very very good English but unfortunately he didn't speak um to most of the players if he did say something it was would be like maybe a couple of words and and that's it so most you know the coaches thought that he couldn't speak english so uh, they just presumed that because i got on well with him and when he did speak english he had a heavy portuguese accent which i don't think most of the you know english players or coaches understood what he was saying anyway but his english was actually quite good so curbs comes in one one day and uh he goes oh sash you need to translate this we're playing obviously these guys tomorrow you need to translate this for me i'm like okay what well, well, you know i'll look at costa george and i'm like give him a wink and i'm like okay uh <laughs> So just play along with this. And so Kerbs explained to me the tactics and the strategy of the game tomorrow, what he needs to do, what he needs to look out for. And then I'm like, okay, it's now my turn to translate in Portuguese. I don't know a fucking word, single word of Portuguese. <laughs> so I start talking to him in Serbian with a Portuguese accent. <laughs> and George is reciprocating. He's talking back to me. I'm like having this conversation with him. And obviously Kerbs has no idea that. You know, uh, he's, I haven't got a clue what he's saying to me, <laughs> but he understood absolutely everything that Kerbs was saying to him, which was obviously the most important thing. Then uh, Kerbs is saying, oh, what did he say? So, no, he understands everything. Gaffa, it's, it's, it's all sorted. That, that's fine. So it's always thumbs up. And so he walks out. So then now everybody thinks he can't fucking speak English. So anybody that wants to speak to George Costa, they I come to, come to you first. <laughs> How long did this so, carry on for? Uh, I mean, oh, well, you know, the, during the whole time that we was there, more or less. <laughs> so, so, some players would speak English, but, but he, he always gave short answers. So people just assumed that he couldn't maybe string a, a longer sentence together. <laughs> but he just, he was that type of guy. He just didn't give a shit. He was like, um, you know, Sasha's my homie. So we used to, you know, go out. I went over to his place. He used to love drinking his wine. So you would have at least two bottles of red wine every single day. So when I went to his place, on his worktop in his kitchen, there's like 30 bottles of empty, and it was Portuguese wine, so he only drank Portuguese oh, wine, he didn't like any yeah, other wine. Old grown stuff. So, so even, uh, even yeah. to this day, there'll be lads in that changing room didn't realize he spoke a word of the Queen. <laughs> but maybe <laughs> they, just... they thought that he knew something, but I don't think they they entertained the idea to even have a conversation with him, I don't know. Maybe it was just the staff that, maybe Kerbs just didn't understand that, you know, he couldn't understand him, what he was saying to him, so they, but they thought that I spoke perfect Portuguese. Maybe it was a lot easier for them to 
talk to me so I can speak with my perfect Portuguese <laughs> to that, translate everything. But surely that would be like one of the first questions Kirby would ask is yeah. the agent. Can you speak English? Can you speak English? Yeah, yeah. Like, Maybe he said he knew it, but maybe because yeah, I spoke broken. perfect Portuguese, uh, <laughs> that it would be a lot easier for me to translate. So, um, I, don't, but, yeah. I don't remember John Barnes going to Charlton. I do. Do you? No, he was a great player, but you know you could see that he was sort of maybe half a yard off off the pace, and you know, but you know, obviously his knowledge of football was amazing. Did you keep in touch with him? I haven't no, I haven't for a while now. But um, so John Barnes uh, always had an eye for for beautiful species uh, on his <laughs> on his on his planet. So I remember one time. Uh, coming from training, we went out for a meal, but I sort of told John, I said, John, I'm just going to stop off in front of 10 Downing Street. This was during the NATO bombing of, of Serbia, Belgrade, where my parents lived and my friends lived and so on. So I said, do you mind if we just popped over there? I, got, I need to make some sort of speech and have an interview with BBC in regards to the um, to the bombing of, of Yugoslavia, well, let's say Yugoslavia, Serbia and Belgrade and so on. And he goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm a pacifist, you know. I'm against war. So no, we are too. We we completely agree that the war, the bombing, should stop, and all violence should be obviously um, frowned upon, and so on. So he agreed to come with me. I went there. I did the speech in front of, let's say, the couple thousand people that were there protesting against the war or against NATO bombing, and uh, had an interview with BBC. And in the meantime, I had all all this Serbian community come up to John Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's obviously explained to them, you know. He's just coming for a meal. It's all about peace. Ladies and gentlemen, peace. Mr. John Barnes, <laughs> and you'd like to come for us. <laughs> <laughs> like to say a few words. Come on, Barnes. Yeah. Watch the situation. Barnes, would you like to do a speech up on the <laughs> Watch the situation for a while. Uh, so he's like, oh, Buddha and peace and peace. <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't think he's sort of uh, appreciated to be fair he was a good sporter about it but I don't think he sort of uh, liked the sort of setting where I got him involved in exactly yeah so then obviously that was the time when he was at Charlton and maybe I think it was a couple of years afterwards or so so I'm walking down the street on the Strand uh, in, in, in London and I see John afar, he's literally walking in my direction, but he's got his arm over this beautiful um, Jamaican model. I didn't know at the time that she was a Jamaican model. I did my research afterwards, but uh, so he was, I think he was dating her at that particular time. So, uh, so I've got my, you know, I'm walking alongside my wife, who off to, to watch a theater production in, in the West End. And as he's walking, I tell my wife, just just ignore him, just walk for. I'm going to ignore him too. Um, I'll see if he's going to recognize me. So as we're walking, I'm looking at him from under my eye. He's got his eyes fixated on my wife. And I'm like, you cheeky fucker. He's like, what are you <laughs> Come on, Manzi. Come Manzi, on. Come on. So you go from, have you gone so from looking under yeah, your eye to John? Yeah, I'm looking it's directly me. and giving fucking meanie looks, but... He walked and it's like he never even noticed me. It's like I did not even exist. So as he walked past and he was obviously checking out, I can see, see his eyes moving from, from the ankles upwards and back and down, giving the eye contact to my wife at that particular time. And I go, you cheeky fuck. You know, it's like, <laughs> what are you doing? So as he walked past, I stop and I turn around. I said, John, 
Oh, Sasha has a company. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, you want to embarrass him too much. <laughs> but then sending my message out, well, you cheeky fucker. I was, I was checking you out, how you were checking my wife out. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't even done all subtly. He was, we're all human, man. We're all human. Yeah, to be fair, if I was in issues, I would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so that was that was a bit comical. <laughs> Some things never change. But I would love to get in, in touch with John. I don't know what he's doing now. I think he's part of, is he? It does a bit of all sorts, I think. He's in he's in Liverpool now. You know, when after you left Charlton, and obviously you had them loan spells, you went into a few clubs. Yeah. Did you always know you were going in as number two? Mm. And number three, were you comfortable with well, that at that point really, in your career? No, I, wanted, I wanted to play. So obviously the fact that I wasn't allowed to leave and I had another year contract left at Charlton. So then obviously I asked to go on loan at least, you know, so I went uh, on loan to Portsmouth. So I, I was on loan there for, I think, for I think about 10 games, eight or 10 games, I can't remember. But uh, Graham Ricks was the manager. Harry Redknapp was the technical director. And the owner of the club was Mila Mandric, who is a Serbian compatriot that made his money in, in the States. So I, I got get to the team, and, and again, in this team, Peter Crouch was there, um, uh, Robbie Prasinecki, I don't know if you guys remember yeah. Prasinecki. Looked about 107, didn't he? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, his body was like 107, but he was, <laughs> he, he was unbelievable on the pitch. He was like, he did not leave the inner circle of, of, of the of, uh, of the pitch, but every ball that he would pass would would be like literally served on the silver platter. Any free kick corner, especially with Peter Crouch, you know, just nodding the ball in. Uh, we practically won every single game when I was when I was when I was playing there. So we did we did quite well. And Robbie Prestonich was what what a player. I mean, unbelievable skills. I think I might have played against that Portsmouth. Was in the championship? Uh, it was the championship, yeah. yeah. I think I played against that yeah. team. We, I think we beat Barnsley. So that was my first or second game we played against yeah, Barnsley. Yeah, I think I was involved in that game. Yeah, so I think we beat you guys 1 or 2 nil. I actually had a decent game um, uh, against Barnsley. I think it Barnsley. might have been fucking 6 or 7, you know. Maybe even I scored that game. <laughs> <laughs> Came off my line, a volley, top corner. I'll have a look at that. I think, yeah, I think I were. What were you like, Ricks? He was good. Ray Ricks was a really nice guy. <laughs> Again, another, another story. So you know how it is in the in the changing rooms when uh, obviously you have the team talk when you go off to the loo. So most of the time, and which was a bit odd to me coming from Yugoslavia or, or Europe, when you come to the English game, you know you want your privacy when you have a you know a number two in the toilet when you have a crap, you close the door, but. In the English game, you you sort of have a conversation while you're having a shit. Somebody plays <laughs> plays walking past for, and you get used to that kind of stuff. But then Robbie Prosinecki, who was a legendary player, played for Barcelona, played for Real Madrid. Now all of a sudden he's at Portsmouth, and um, and I remember, I think I don't know if it was away or I think it was away one game, and uh, Graham Riggs obviously had this uh, team talk, and obviously you know get changed, and and I see Robbie go to the loo. And he came back after literally 30 seconds and he was like, white as a ghost. I said, Robbie, what's wrong? I said, you will never guess what just fucking happened. I said, what happened? So I'm walking to go fucking have a piss. I see Graham Briggs with 
sitting on the toilet seat with the door wide open and now he's, he's, he's telling me the tactics what I need to do on the pitch while he's having a shit so in, in the part of the world where we come from <laughs> that is like unheard of you, no, you no, 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 that's not acceptable <laughs> farting shitting all that you do that in your own privacy you don't, you don't share that with anybody at all I, I, I want you to get down the wing <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was a bit of an experience. I, I think he got used to it after after spending a bit of time. That was that was the norm. I suppose that was the norm. How, how did you find um, Barnsley? Barnsley. In what sense? The place, the culture. I love the, the people, culture. I love the, the, the ladies. People. Uh, <laughs> do, I, do I have to answer that question? <laughs> The place, the culture, I, I actually quite enjoyed it. I, I, for me, it was a, an amazing experience. It was like um, in the heart of Yorkshire, but it was a country within a country. The people in <laughs> Barnsley were completely different to any other community, even like five miles down the road. Barnsley was a complete different uh, experience different to, to what I experienced when I was living in Yorkshire. I think I was there for about two years, literally in, in Yorkshire, and I think six months was in was in Barnsley. So uh, it's a right gaff, isn't it? It's a fucking right gaff. It, it's it's good. It's good. Uh, there was this one Serbian guy that opened up a kebab shop there, so all the players <clears> congregated <throat> at his place after a few pints of lager and partying in the nightclub. But uh, I stayed. I ended up living in the hotel there with my wife, current wife at the time. So we lived in a hotel for six months, so that wasn't very pleasant. You just want to go and put beans on toast on every night. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the lads, my man, Anthony Keir. Oh, yeah, yeah, very good player. We played together at, at, at Barnsley, yeah. You said you're the first and only player ever to want to play chess on an away, away team court. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a chess enthusiast. Oh, yeah. uh, luckily, luckily for me, most of these I can't players, imagine yeah. there were many takers. No. <laughs> you know, when you got the board out. <laughs> Oh, that. Get, the get the cards out. <laughs> Did you have many takers for a game? Uh, not, not that I, I'm, I'm, I can't remember that I played the interest at Barnsley. If I did, it would have been. It's like an anomaly, you know. This doesn't happen in Barnsley, does it? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> do they know what chess is? I can tell you now, categorically, there is not one chess board in Barnsley. Okay, well, there you go. So I put the first chess board in Barnsley then. Yeah. <laughs> you fetched it in and you took it away. Oh, listen, that's another little sort of accomplishment that I made. Yeah. Do you always want to get into coaching? Because I know you... That's what you, you um, want to do now, isn't it? Uh, well, yes. Well, at the time when I finished my career, when I sort of made the decision to quit, I I sort of did think about coaching for about five minutes, but <laughs> uh, it's not for me. Um, and I wanted to step away from football, not because I didn't like football. I just wanted to explore other opportunities in my life also and use football as uh, as uh, having you know my foot in the door because coming from a let's say a, you know a career playing in the premiership internationally um, even if people don't know of you uh, the fact that you played in that league yeah. any business that you get involved in people will give you that 5 minutes to showcase what you have to offer so i took great um, opportunities using my background to get my foot in the door so the first business that i opened after after finishing off my career was an interior design company. Not that I had any idea about interior design, and not that I had any clue about the business, 
But this was at the time in 2005, 2006, there was a lot of money. A lot of money was pumped into, um, you know, properties and buildings, not just in, in the UK, but all over the world. So there's a lot of money. So then I used my contacts to make a few phone calls. Then I met somebody that were looking for people that could offer uh, bespoke joinery for hotels and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the guy said, okay, I've got you this job. Uh, they gave me the specifications for this uh, office that they want to rebuild in Croydon. And I started uh, researching bespoke joinery companies in Serbia. Then I came <laughs> to a particular company in Serbia. Again, just bagging my way. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But, uh, you know, I just needed somebody to give me the price for this specification that I had. And I introduced myself because, oh, it's actually this one. Kangaroo, kangaroo, yes, that's me, that's me. <laughs> so listen, I, uh, <laughs> so can I, can I give you the specific, specification and give me the price? I can potentially give you this job. It's not a problem. So I send it off to him. He sends it back after a couple of days. I send it to this Irish guy that was building these huge tower blocks, apartments, but they wanted to start off with this little office refurbishment for, for their company to do. So I think the, I think it was around about thirty thousand um, pounds uh, for the project, which was quite small. Um, but I had no idea, you know, what their quotes were. So I get back to him. I send him an email. I said, "Listen, I've just sent you the quotation. La la la. Please get back to me at early convenience." The phone rang within one minute, and they go, "Sasha, so it's me." Because I have to also explain. So when the company in Serbia, the joinery company, sent me the quotation, I sat in front of them thinking, okay, I'll just put 10%. I know, fuck it, I put 20% commission on top of that. So I just added all the all the specific, I just added 20%. So then I sent that thinking, oh, fuck, I'm hoping I'm not too greedy. I'm hoping I'm not too greedy. So I sent that within two, literally, literally one minute, the guy calls back and goes, Sasha, it's me. Uh, are you sure about these prices? And I'm thinking to myself, you greedy fucker. It's like, <laughs> should have stayed with 10%. Don't be greedy. And I, I was sticking to my guns and I'm like, yeah, what seems to be the problem? Sasha, you're 40% cheaper than all the other quotes that we had. I said, well, you know, because it's my first job, you know, I'm sort of, you know, want to give you guys a good price. But we did not add in the transportation costs. We did not add in <laughs> Which happens to be 35%. <laughs> so me, Sasha, it's ended up being fucking 10% dearer. So, so that's how I got into the business. Well, I had no idea. So I started the company. And then I got the, the guys to send it over. I got the people from the factory that would do the installation too. And they're like amazing stuff so within six months um i get the claridge's hotel so claridge's hotel is a landmark hotel in central london it was like a two hundred fifty thousand pound job i got the job on the basis of the prices that i had through the recommendation of these guys that i had so i worked with that for good two three years made an absolute killing made an absolute killing but then in in the process, because I was hanging around <laughs> these... Serving uh, in Lauren Llewellyn's <laughs> boy, nothing got a fucking clue what he's doing. Well, no, just, uh, chuck, just chuck that cushion there. <laughs> Fuck it. But it was great because I would work walk on site in my flip-flops and they're like, Sasha, health and safety. So what, what do you mean? What's health and safety? <laughs> so I walk, you need a top hat. You can't walk in your flip-flops. You need a toe, toe cap sort of shoes and you need one of those fluorescent sort of vests and... 
fuck, okay, where do I buy that? So there's a shop just around the corner. So I had no idea what I was getting to. But it didn't need for me to know anything because I had the factory that sent the goods and they sent the workers that did all the installation. I was just the middleman between the, the guys in, yeah. in the UK and these guys that would do the yeah. job. And they did such a good job, then I started getting all these projects. Sounds like your football career. Oh, mate, it was Stop great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, but again, I went into something completely I had no clue about. Then, then, then I was in, you know, introduced to other people that would come into the office to their office they would give me it's like the size of this this table these these prints and these uh, drawings and they're talking to me about this project and um i haven't got a fucking clue what i'm looking at it's like drawings you know it's like millions <laughs> of lines and all sorts there and i'm standing standing on the opposite of the table and i go yeah, yeah we can we can do that but i'll give you confirmation everything we'll send everything by email it's not a problem and they go, so can I just ask you a question? I said, yeah, yeah go ahead. But, you know, I'm, I'm showing you these drawings. You're looking at it upside down. And I said, dude, I'm just used to looking at everything upside down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all in the bag. Man. You're going to have well, to worry about it. Don't worry, we'll sort it. But you're I'm a professional well footballer. I said, listen, dude, I can, I can. But then it, it was funny because when I got the job for the Claridge's Hotel, um, so then there was this uh, really nice uh, person that I met Olga, her name was, beautiful girl, extremely smart. Uh, I met her. She goes, Sasha, can you introduce me to some people? I've just, I'm like the representative of a huge Austrian bank here, but we primarily focus on the Balkan region, which is Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, Montenegro, and so on. So we provide uh, financing for massive projects in that part of the region. I said, Leave it to me, love. It's, it's, it's sort of. <laughs> 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 I'll sort this out. So you bit of Barnsley, bit of Barnsley effect there. I'll sort this out. Don't worry about it, it, love. So it was funny because then I sort of introduced it to a couple of a uh, couple of uh, clients, which turned out really good for them. I obviously, didn't have anything with that. But then after a couple of months, she gets in contact and she goes, "Would you be interested in working as our consultant?" So I'm like. Just fucking winging it, aren't you? Oh. Absolutely <laughs> winging it. Like, oh, no, it was great. It was great. So so that all accumulated. Um, it was great. So then I ended up getting this job, which was great because I have got no experience in banks or whatever <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> no experience of, in banks, but I've got an office. <laughs> running, but, running fucking HSBC. <laughs> well, fuck it. I don't know why I'm here. Killing him off, got an office. Oh, it was great because everybody loved the football, in particular goalkeeper. So that's, that's, that's it. it. That's what it's gone back to. The the fact that you play football has opened all these absolutely avenues. That's... And having the skill set, which I didn't realize it was a skill set, but I realized soon afterwards that my, uh, you know, I get on well with a lot of people. I, I, I'm a people's person. Yeah. I love communicating you can with speak people. Fluid fluent Portuguese. I speak fluent, not just Portuguese, <laughs> any language under the sun, with a bit of a twang, obviously. Uh, and that opens up a lot of doors in your life. And uh, and I can't help to think that maybe I've blagged it, but then I always produce the goods alongside doing all of that. So it's not like I've sort of fooled somebody to get me something to do something where I don't do I deliver it every single time. But it's all about, you know, but then I realised, again, when I was playing football, when I used to look at all these you know, CEOs and MDs, all these big companies, I'm like, oh, these guys are so smart. But when I, once I got into this world of business, I realized that all these MDs and CEOs, not all, but let's say majority, huge egos. It's all about ego. And I put a lot of people 
together to make business, but because these CEOs or the MDs did not like each other, they would sacrifice an unbelievable opportunity for a great business because they did not, they were competing whose dick was a lot bigger, literally, you know, and uh, then I realized, these guys haven't got a fucking clue. And they've got all these people sucking up their ass. I walk in, dude, this is A, you're B, let's, let's put a plus in between and we create C, we're all happy. But no, business is, is as good as the people that you're involved with. And, mm. uh, and business is a relatively easy thing. It's only the human factor that gets involved in the business that fucks everything up. So then you just go on from one thing to another thing and you think, fucking hell, everything is, everything is bullshit in life. Everything is, uh, everything I is, everything, I can do it. <laughs> I, I can do it. If I can do it, being a you know, head consultant for an international bank, interior designer, a footballer, <laughs> um, what, then I went to Montenegro and rebuilt a 300-year-old you know, house, converted into a boutique hotel. I'm a hotelier now for the last six years. <laughs> so what, there's nothing that I can't do. And this is ultimately what is my mindset that brought me from that period living in Yugoslavia during that hardship because it just makes you believe you can achieve anything that you want to achieve if you truly believe in it. You need to bag your way in, but you need to deliver the goods. You've got the... Uh... You've got academies as well now, have you? Apart from as well as yeah. You know, so hotel, so um, uh, so the last last six years, uh, actually last ten years, I've been um, in Montenegro. Um, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the businesses closed. Um, the banking side of things, interior design. So I didn't have obviously an income anymore. That all closed overnight because of of the situation. The world economic situation. Um, obviously, I, I got divorced, so no wife, no no job. So I decided to um, do something that I've never always dreamt of doing, but to you know, to get my motorbike license. So I went off and did my motorbike license and. And I need, need to find out. <laughs> that wasn't what I was expecting. Next thing I'm going around Le Mans. <laughs> yeah. so Midlife I, crisis. Well, well, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. It's something I always wanted to do because I always loved motorbikes as a kid, but I wasn't allowed to do it because of playing soccer and football and all that kind of stuff. And I went from June till end of October. I went on a little sort of uh, ride around the whole of Europe, literally on, on my own, just to find myself to seek what life is all about and all that kind of stuff. But halfway through my journey through Europe, my father unexpectedly passed away. So that sort of kicked the you know the stuffing out of me big time. And um, when I got back in October. Um, Beginning of November, I get a phone call from one of my neighbors in, in Montenegro because I have a house there. And they say, oh, Sasha, just to let you know, your house is on fire. So everything that could have happened in 2009, uh, from obviously getting divorced, the business collapsing, um, my father passing away, and the icing on the cake was actually getting a phone call from one of my neighbors saying that your your place in Montenegro that you bought is, is on fire. That's when I started laughing. That's that's like, let it let it burn. I don't really give a shit. So then for two, three years, up until 2012, I was a bit of a lost soul. I would go out partying, you know, being happy facey and being very open uh, to just to have a good time. So then I made a conscious decision after a two-week detox. So detox was very, very important to me. I literally just drank juices for two weeks. <clears throat> and that's when the idea of coming, leaving the UK, because it was very bad for me to move to Montenegro to start a new life. 
after two week detox, I sold my place where I was living, jumped on my motorbike, moved to Montenegro to start from scratch. Got there, applied for building permission to build this 300 year old house into a boutique hotel. In the meantime, I meet my current wife at that particular time. Obviously fall in love. Um, we quickly started um, you know, obviously having children, so we created a family. And after four and a half years of reconstruction, I built this boutique hotel. Uh, not a clue about how to operate a hotel. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, Just chuck them fucking pillars down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was funny because, you know, because it's because it, the initial idea was to do a, like a detox center, but I thought, well, nobody's going to come to Montenegro in July, August. They want to detox. They don't want to detox. So maybe we can, I can do the detox on the off season. But let me create a boutique hotel now. So okay, so how do I do that then? Where do I start? So <laughs> you got to learn. So then I started googling how to make you know coffee, how to make cocktails. And I got really good at that. I got really good. So the first year I did that, I did 90% of the work. The year after, I started getting people in. Then all of a sudden, I started getting amazing reviews. But because it was so close to me, I was there every day from morning to night. Any guests that would come, I would give them my love and attention. You enjoy that personally oh, as well? Yeah. You know, meeting different people? Absolutely. I love, and, and I actually found something that I really enjoy doing. So things just progressed, progressed bit by bit at, at that point where then I was one of the mostly highly rated boutique, boutique hotels in the whole of Montenegro, <laughs> literally. It sounds like a Boris <laughs> Gump story, doesn't it? <laughs> And it's great. So then that was all great. It seems yeah. to me, mate, you, that whatever you do, you seem to be incredible at it. But um, hands on deck. But nothing's difficult. That's what I'm trying to get across. We can all do that. We Opening up a boutique hotel, it all seems scary. But once you get involved, if you have the true passion for that, whether it's interior design, I didn't do designing. Banking, the same thing. I would find buyers, they come in, and I was in charge of... Um, you know, taking out the clients in bars and nightclubs, which I was terribly good at, you know, <laughs> living in London at that particular time. So everything that I do, it's all about uh, personal relationships, people. people. So this business that I've just created, <clears throat> it's had its highs and lows, but, you know, I've decided to start this soccer academy now. We, I call it soccer because I just got back from the States. Um, because the football, or let's say soccer over there, is unbelievable. There's like 14 million registered kids from the age of eight, or from six to the age of 18. There's a huge market there. But unfortunately, nobody has a pathway to success, purely because of the amount of kids that exist out there. So me living in Montenegro, um, seeing what Montenegro has to offer, I went over to, um, and being in the hospitality industry, so I'm mixing a bit of hospitality, um, obviously football with my background and obviously the contacts that I have. Montenegro, two and a half hour flight from from England. Uh, we have all the facilities, but I didn't know where to find it. So I went to the president of the Football Association who is Dan Savicevic. And the fact that you used to play football probably Absolutely. helped you get to meet him. Uh, well, yeah, he was actually my coach internationally when I played for Yugoslavia. Right. So he was there. I said, Dan, can I come over? I've got this idea. Generally speaking, the football in Montenegro is crap. It's non-league, <laughs> non-league standard. But the champions of that first league, they are in the Champions League qualifiers. So you get any player from non-league here, they have a better chance to play in the Champions League than in the whole life playing football in this country. Because for them to play in the Champions League, 
here you have to be in the top two clubs in in, in England. Yeah. There's an opportunity in Montenegro if they want to go. Uh, if they're good enough, I can put them in a team, local team there. So I've got these 40 million kids at some point um, that I can offer them a pathway come to my academy where they have professional training. I've now bought a license for uh for online high us program curriculum online uh, schooling uh for so, kids so they can learn as well they can get educated absolutely at the so time. they can come over they can get but it's it's us based uh high school uh diploma but more importantly these kids that come over from the states and we're not just targeting the kids from the states we're targeting kids from Nigeria, from Egypt. Um, but then we give opportunities for kids that come from the States. They can minimum spending one year at our academy. Then I've got the contacts to uh, push them into um, into colleges or universities in the States with with scholarships. You've got coaches not ready yet, to go? Not yet. Is that what the next? So the next step is getting coaches over. Uh, now, all this that I've been talking about, it's been six months I've been, I was in the States literally a week ago. Um, I was there for 10, seven, 10 days. So I've organized um, Paris Saint-Germain, Chicago to come and do a camp at my facilities at my soccer academy. And then we're offering kids, obviously through MIT, that are underprivileged um, opportunity to get, obviously through them, the grants to come over to uh, to Montenegro through the scheme that we've developed. Some project. It's, oh, it's some amazing. Fucking yeah. Some fucking yeah. business. Like some, a lot of thought was, has gone into this, hasn't it? It's, it's a year and a half of of getting everything together. The last six months is implementing the, the, you know, obviously the final details and all that kind and of stuff. And as you said, like the experiences that you have, you've had oh yeah, yeah. You've oh it's implementing great them in oh it's great it's going to be able to have a positive so effect i know people. the fact that I was, I was in the hotel business in in montenegro usually all my guests after three days they start looking at property prices because they want to buy there but because they're under my umbrella i take them show them where they need to do what they have to do experience i'll show you fucking estate agent as well <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not going to that business yet. <laughs> yet, yet. I want to see an alternative universe. When you came in and said, if, uh, how long we're recording for? 20, 30 minutes. I'd like to see how you want to fit all this in. 20, 30 minutes. There's, listen, there's so many segments to my life, but every every segment is, is an adventure on its own. I mean, there's been highs and lows and there's been... You know situations where you know i wanted to give up by the perseverance and for me to push forward but like i said if you do it once um then you can always do it in the future and for me knocking on doors at charlton was 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 actually me setting in stone you know this this ambition in me that i can achieve it so uh but i'm again that i'm using that footballing side of things to give youngsters an opportunity um to come and experience the academy experience another culture to get their education but ultimately they'll be under my wing where then i can guide them to clubs and i will have firsthand sort of uh let's say involvement with their progress outside of our academy because football as you guys know it's run by a lot of people that are not in the footballing world but it's it's there's a lot of snakes there's a lot of people that just want to make a quick buck and that's what I don't like. That's what I don't like. But you've got that experience yeah. and you can oh, yeah, feed that into what yeah, you're Yeah, absolutely. So even if they don't become professional footballers, the fact that they were there to experience another culture, another language, mate, that's a life experience. That's a, that's a life experience. 
So stepping away from your ordinary everyday life, I've changed four different countries. The more countries I change, the greater I, I become. Because I don't know if I'm going to live in Montenegro for the rest of my no, life. No, we've been Portugal. You can speak Portuguese. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It went Albafuera for four days. I'm already golfing. You know, even, even George Costa was surprised I could speak Portuguese. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, life is there for the taking. I, I, I don't see any, any reason why anything should be... Uh, an issue or a hurdle if if you completely believe in it if you have one percent of doubt it's gone i experienced that one percent of doubt when i started questioning myself when i was at peak of my career that was ultimately my downfall that's what caused me to you know to be on the pitch i'm like am i a fake am i you know am i should i belong here should i and that was ultimately what brought me down and I started sulking and I didn't put in the effort at the training as I did when I first arrived. And I'm at fault for what happened to my career. No one else, just me. But if I had this mindset for somebody to tell me, get your finger out, you got dropped, but you're going to prove to Alan Kirbish and to other coaches that through your hard work, you're going to fight for your fight, you know, fight for your position back. So, I'll be honest with you, mate. I'm not just trying to blow smoke up your ass here, but I think you're one of the most amazing people we've ever had on this podcast. No, no, that's nice of Seriously. you to say that. Nice of you to say that. No, but, inspirational. Um, yeah, but a lot of people say I should write a book, but I'm shit at writing, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it's not stop you. Yeah. Yeah. fucking wing. Yeah, yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple it. of crayons down. There'll be loads of spelling mistakes, but you'll fucking wing it. Yeah, well, <laughs> like we've got this chat GTP now. They can write it for yeah, you. Yeah, I'll do it for you. <laughs> With a Portuguese accent also. <laughs> well, brilliant, man. No, oh, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. All you, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Are we finished now? Yeah, yeah. Unless there's anything else you want to... flown by very quickly, hasn't it? It's fucking dark. We it. We've seen us in the hotel tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Big Alpha's coming in a bit. Oh, really I would appreciate invite you guys to my hotel, but it's going to be a villa as of next year. But listen, if you guys are interested at some point, if you come to Montenegro, uh, come and be my guest at my villa, and we can do a podcast there again. Perfect. And I'll show oh. you. I'll show you guys. Uh, I'll show you guys the the pictures. Uh, if you want, if you want, in two coaches, <laughs> we can be coaches for a week. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mascot. <laughs> well, it's the Smith. What a guy. You'd want him running for Prime Minister, wouldn't you? I think he might be one of my favourites. As a as a bloke? Yeah, full of energy, full of enthusiasm. enthusiasm, yeah. I think that's why he's got so far. Yeah. Just the amount of, when he's speaking, you're like, you want what, an absolute like, what a story. Like, just to, to keep going mm. one after another and uh, get results. You can't keep a good man down, can you, Chris? <laughs> or tell you her now. Fuck me. Bank manager. What was the other bit? The um, Interior designer. Interior you design. You need your kitchen doing. Give Sasha a ring. You give us his number. <laughs> he's he's going to come and see us next time he's up north. Do you always wash your shoes with your top? Safe. Is that a, <laughs> <laughs> Is that a stable? No, I just put they're just comfies. We've just driven down to Norwich, mm. and we're four, five hours in car. Put my comfies on, and apparently, Matty's put the hammer down. Crack on, we're recording, lads. No time for he doesn't changing. mess about, does no. he? And home, everybody, I know I'm looking disappointed. Johnny's not here with us for this outro. <laughs> <laughs> what? Just every time he's, we do it, 
he thinks it's an intro, doesn't he? So, <laughs> but yeah, bit of a family uh, emergency, family emergency and some families. things more important. Yeah, family's first. I'm full of, I don't know what I'm full of, but I'm struggling Shit. as well. So, are you, are you ill? I'm ill. Matty, get keep warm. You could be coming Coughing on. Confidence spluttering. Yeah, snotty nose. Flash floods on the way down in the yeah, front of Matty's car. <laughs> It was like Dave Bassett all over again. <laughs> Fuck me. We had to go with emergency tissue. You know, they're like the blue coarse oh, sandpaper that's, type. That stuff's not the stuff you get at school toilets. Honestly, <laughs> my nose is crippled. <laughs> Red raw. But we battle on Chris. We do. We do. We always stand up in the face of adversity. We do. And that is what we do. We're in uh Norwich. Backstage. Old, old stump and ground. Got some older pigeon detectives here. Wheatus, what are you over here? We had that in Barnsley, yeah. if you remember. Teenage crowd pleaser. I'm not. I'm not over familiar with Switch Disco or MC Front a lot. lot. But I'm sure they're brilliant. I like his name. Go and get us a pen, Matty. We'll uh, <laughs> big nose and baldy. Balls. <laughs> <laughs> Old stomping ground for me, Chris Norwich. Back on the high street. Mm, mercy. Good to be back. Prin I think it was Prince of Wales Road. Was up the. Is that well, the main stomping ground the back in the was. day? Kebab shop over the road. I hope you fancy it. What, on the strip? Friday night. Yep, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how we get well, on. We went out last week, didn't we, after Nottingham? Yeah. We went to uh, Pop World and mm. you weren't overly enthralled at the idea. No, not really. Within half an hour, John was given it unbelievable Shape. shapes on, on the, the dance, dance floor. floor. I remember, yeah. Um... And you went AWOL again. You could be out with anybody. You know, when you, it's just us three, you'll just be off. <laughs> like, And then trying to find you, we did a full lap. He's got the Irish goodbye down to a T. Ah, right, okay. You yeah, just I'll, vanish. I'll give you the AWOL again within the venue, but to go go home, I, I backdoored it. Because there were a few, few people that had been to the show having a good chat with them and multiple drinks bought. I must have done. Because I thought, I wasn't I wasn't up for staying out, so you go either way then, don't you? Do you know what? I'll I'll go hard and fast. And then puff Pick a smoke. Me up. <laughs> Whoa, there was a puff of smoke, all right. Oh. I must have <laughs> had five double rum and corks in the space of half an hour. And then all of a sudden, I'm in trouble here. I've I haven't eaten all day. That's the that's, that's the that's issue the with you, Chris. It. That's the key. Not eating properly. You've just brought some back there because somebody bought us a drink that had been at the show, and I just asked for a solid Jack Daniels and Cork. And then about 20 minutes later, he's come back. He went, oh, Brownhead's your round. I'll have a treble rum. <laughs> I swear to God, treble rum and I'll Cork he was drinking. And I'll raise you. <laughs> it, was, it was the hand. He may as well have done the Tony Pulis, put my hand around him. <laughs> and escort you to the... <laughs> the family brownie, treble rum and Cork. <laughs> a bastard. <laughs> but yeah, I got to hotel room. I've not felt like that since I was... 13, 14. Spinny. Spinny, spin, spin. <laughs> Vomit. Four year old, man. But you you were double parked for a short while. In the back pocket. And then they'd gone. Out of town, got excited. This is the second to last episode of the series. Do you know what that's called? By the way, the penultimate. penultimate. Yeah, it is. Did you know that? <laughs> you, yeah, I mean, it's a common you phrase. Like, nah, but you struggle with common things, Chris. <laughs> Last but one, it is. Last of the live shows, but we're releasing them soon, aren't yes. we, for next year? We've got 
a big chunk ready for February, March, April. Maybe Maybe May. a sprinkling of May. Depending if I'm on holiday or not. Oh, no, so, nothing in no May. May. Nothing in May. But we're going to get them released before Christmas, aren't we? Perfect Christmas present. I don't know about you, but... Drop a few hints, get... maybe, to your, to your wives, to your daughters, sons. You know, because they're, they're dads and stuff, nightmare to, to buy for, aren't they? You're dropping in, oh, under the kosher, uh, doing a few more shows next year. Bing! Yeah. Fruit. That's what I used to get in my flipping Stockland fillers. Fruit in a sock. Fuck I off. swear to God. I swear to God. But you could obviously... Tangerine? No, there was an array of fruit. Like, you could see them because socks are quite tight, so the apple was just bulging out. You're out of a stocking? I swear to God. In a sock. A sports sock? Like one of them cashmere woolen ones. Right. Winter ones. But fruit. I'm talking plums. Just a fruit basket in a sock? I'm I'm telling you, fruit like... Pineapple? No, basic fruit. Not even tropical. (laughs) Grapes? If my brothers are watching this, they'll back us up. Piss off fruit. I'm telling you. But uh, thanks for watching once again. And if you're not subscribed, oh, we got over that 100,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're Thank flying you. up now. Thank you. Yeah. 100 and... Oh, you know, 101. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks everyone for subscribing and getting involved. We've got the, uh, uh, we've done the draw, but again, should have written that down. Um, and we'll have the... We'll, we'll be in touch. Announcing. Took a long time. It was a long time coming, wasn't it? Yeah. But thanks everybody for subscribing. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, and we'll be back next week with with John Boy. That was inspirational, that Chris. That just that ten second segment. Yeah. There's all. I've always got a good ten seconds in me. <laughs> I always guarantee you that.